You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Lord, help. <laughs> he's doing something really powerful in this place, and I don't want us to miss it. So um, would you just pray with me for a moment? Lord, I just want to thank you. That as long as we've been here in this place, Harbor City, all these years, your, your presence and your favor has been on this congregation. And I'm constantly blown away by your desire that far exceeds sometimes our own ambition to see your kingdom come. Like you're more committed to this work of transformation than we are. And so with all the faith that we can muster up today, we unite our faith with your purpose for our lives. Heal the brokenhearted today. May we not live in denial of the broken places of our lives. But I pray that you would increase our confidence, Lord, that in fact we have a safe place. The safest place to be is with you and to bring our pain and our, our hurts and our issues, Lord, into your resting place, the resting place of your presence. So Holy Spirit, thank you for the work you're doing here. Be with us today in your name. Amen. Amen Amen and amen. So I want to start with a picture this morning. I was on vacation, well, we were out of town when this took place. Actually, no. Yeah, we were. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And they started saying things like, the king is here. And they started talking all Christian all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> the king is coming. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of joy uh, in the city because of uh, LeBron James coming. And, uh, and I, I wanted to kind of give you a little insight at least from a fan perspective, that uh, there's a reason why guys like LeBron James come to L.A. We had Shaq, we had Kobe, even before that we had Magic, right? We had all these amazing, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And um, there's a reason why L.A. attracts these people is because the Laker organization is committed to the ultimate goal of not making money of not, of not being the most stylish <laughs> team in the NBA. They're committed to the, underneath all of that hype, they're committed to the ultimate goal of winning championships, right? So even if they have to lose for a while, a number of years, uh, this is what drives them. And so now we look and we go, oh my goodness, it's, winning is coming back to Los Angeles. The city of angels is happy because our winning days are just ahead of us once again. But, but seriously, okay, why is winning so important? Not just to the Laker organization, but even to all of us in the room. Why is it important? And I think there's a few good reasons, but I wonder if we always are driven to win so badly because we were afraid of losing. We're afraid of failure, because in our society, we associate winning with success, 
and we don't want to be failures, and we don't want to be losers, so we have to win in order to be somebody, in order to say I've accomplished something, in order to keep my confidence and faith up at a high level. We've got to win. Now, you add to that dynamic the fact that our society doesn't, like, we don't consider losing a good thing. We think it we think it's the ultimate indignity. You can call me a liar. You can call me a cheater. You can say I stole, but don't call me a loser because winning is everything. Or it may not be everything, but at least it beats losing. So I want to talk to you about the other side this morning of winning and to explore this idea that losing actually can be winning. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about the dark side of winning. It's okay to win. I mean, I mean you know what? My kids play competitive tennis, man. We, we, we encourage them to focus on win the match, you know? And we try to help them so that they can get into, into that match and win. There's nothing wrong with it on the surface, but there is, there is a dark side to it, right? It's like the, you know, the dark side of the force. There's a dark side to winning, especially when winning causes you to be driven or obsessed by it, right? And you got to be careful because when you're driven, when you're obsessed with winning, you really can't love God or self or others well. There's a, there's a, there's a danger that you slip into like this uh, sort of, you know, trap we call the pride trap. Because the more you win, the more you'll have the tendency to let winning define your identity. And before you know it, you're too good, you're too successful, you're too experienced to take anyone else's advice. And pride, before you know it, has deceived you. The other thing connected to that dark side of winning is that you can actually become unconsciously superior to others in your attitude. Hello, I'm better than you. (laughs) And... And you don't really know it's happening that way, but it has, right? In secret, without anyone knowing, you're looking down at the others who have not achieved like you, who perhaps did not succeed like you did, and you kind of start to think that you're better, you're smarter, at least you're prettier, right? At least you're more successful than someone else. Folks, that's a hidden form of pride, and it's deceitful. Makes you think that you're better than you really are. Okay, so let's, it's fun to win. Come on, right? No one likes to lose. But let's balance this out a little bit this morning. Is it really winning if you have to compromise anything and everything in order to win? Is it really winning when it makes you a less than loving person in the end? Got to ask that question. So I want to explore this idea this morning with you that losing, losing, not winning. Whenever whenever I hear you say, God, I'm so blessed, I'm always thinking in those categories. Wow, you won the victory, right? We're victorious. And yes, there is a truth to that. But I want to explore this today, that this idea of losing actually carries within it hidden benefits and profound blessings if you will open to it. There's a sense in which losing can be winning. Jesus said it this way. Whoever wants to save their life will. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. So in the kingdom of God, we got to remember, it's a kingdom of reversals. It's an upside-down kingdom 
where you have to, in order to win, you actually have to lose. Where in order to live, you actually have to die. And in order to be the greatest of all, you must first become the servant of all. It's an upside down kingdom. And you begin to realize that winning isn't really everything. When you realize that, you come to terms with the fact that losing has its benefits. So I want to share with you at least four benefits of losing. You ready? All the winners in the room said amen. <laughs> Every single one of you wants to win. So some of you guys in the room, man, you're competitive. I can see it on your faces, man. You know? You come in here, and I can tell he's a competitor, man. He, he, you compete for the, over the silliest things, right? I get it, man. There's some of us who are more, more competitive than others. And there's some of you that are just like, no, I, that's not you know, uh, important to me and this and that. And that's cool. But this is for all of us because whether, however you define winning, there is a time in life where we all experience losing. And we need to figure out what to do with those moments. And so let me share with you some of the benefits and the blessings of losing. Losing becomes winning when it, say this with me, simplifies and clarifies your life. God can use the losses of your life to simplify and clarify your life. Because believe it or not, there are some rich blessings in the losses of life. Whether it be the loss of a job, loss of a loved one, in athletics, the losing season. Right? There are rich blessings, <laughs> LeBron James, when you lose a whole four years in a row, right? There are rich blessings somewhere in there. And what happens with those blessings, it, part of those blessings are about simplifying our life. Like we start to see things a little more simply. You start to think about what's really most important. You start evaluating your priorities. You know, you start, you, there's these uh, categories of, of, of um, issues in life. There are major league concerns, right? And then there are minor league concerns in life. And often what happens, we get those mixed up. We minor in the majors and we major in the minors. And loss and losing is often an unwelcome invitation to examine those values and to examine the way you actually think about the world. So, for example, that financial investment that went bad, that business partnership that turned sour, it's an invitation to take a deeper look at your life and question what you really believe about the value of money, what you really believe about the role of wealth and finances, you see? That relationship that failed, it didn't go the way you had planned. Perhaps that loss is an invitation to look at yourself instead of complaining, instead of accusing, instead of blaming. And take responsibility for your part in the failure of the relationship and then ask God, what is it that I really value what is this teaching me about what I truly value? That job that you lost or that you didn't get, maybe that's an invitation to re-examine the source of your confidence. The chronic illness you've been struggling with, God has not miraculously healed you just yet. And by the way, he's going to heal all of our sicknesses one day. Just want to let you know. It's going to be okay. If you're in Jesus, you, we might be struggling in this side of heaven, but I, there is a healing place. It's gonna, we're all going to be well one day. But in terms of this side of heaven, maybe you're struggling with, God, how come you haven't miraculously healed me just yet? And listen, we're not, that's not to take away from God's healing power, okay? God does heal. 
He wants to prove his love to people. He wants to prove that his kingdom is here and now. And often he will heal people because people who are open to it, people who have faith and believe that God can do this, you'll see God do this stuff. We've seen this in our very own church. But listen, what do you do if he doesn't? Maybe God wants to, maybe that loss that you experience of health is an invitation for you to walk more deeply with him. And to learn something about the value of your own physical body. Because God doesn't just want us to experience divine healing. He wants us to walk in divine health. There's a difference. So listen, losing is winning when it simplifies our lives and it clarifies our values. You remember, um, there's a story in the Gospels, in the book of John, chapter 6. When Jesus started teaching... His disciples, and the teaching was really deep, and it was metaphorical and figurative, but his disciples and the others who heard him took it really literally. Remember when he said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no, no part of me? Remember when he said that? Like, he wasn't talking literally, but the people that listened to him were like, that is a tough teaching. What are you talking about? Like, we have to eat your flesh and drink your blood. Like, and they got, the Bible says they got offended. At him. And they got so offended that from that time, it says in John 6, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And, and so the Jesus camp experiences a massive loss all of a sudden. All of a sudden, there's not as many disciples around. And so Jesus, notice he doesn't like go after them. He doesn't try to clarify what he was saying. He, he didn't go, hey guys, hang on, no, don't leave, don't leave. I was just being figurative in my speech. He didn't explain it to him. It was almost like his intensity for his mission was focused. It was almost like he was, it was almost like he knew that there was, something more impop there was more, something more important than just being popular, than just being the popular Messiah. And he let him go. <laughs> and um, Jesus knew that his ultimate mission was go to, to go to the cross. And if the cross is his ultimate mission, he knew that that was not going to be the popular vote. That was not going to be the popular thing to do. Now, look what he does, and he says to his disciples. He goes, these guys all leave. Many turn away. They stop following him. And then he turns to his disciples, and he says to them, you don't want to leave too, do you? Now, other translations will say something like, do you want to leave too? <laughs> and I love Simon Peter's response, because this is like the moment of truth. Here you are. You experienced a significant loss. There are a bunch of people no longer following you, Jesus. This is not good for our PR. This is not good for our camp, Jesus. This is not good for the campaign of the Messiah to lose followers like this over a teaching that you could have easily explained to them. This is the moment of truth. How are they going to handle this loss? Will they jump ship too? Will they remain offended at Jesus' words? Or Will this loss simplify and clarify their lives? Look at Simon Peter's response. He goes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Folks, that's simplicity. 
We have no other options, Jesus. We don't have, see, what complexifies life, folks, in this, in this day and age is that we just have too many options sometimes, don't we? Way too many options. And simplicity sometimes means that you realize that really there's only one or two options. And Peter figures it out. It's simple. We don't have anywhere else to go. Where are we going to go? Where else? What are we going to do? Go back to fishing? See, some of you need this realization for your life right now. Because you're still kind of wavering over whatever has offended you of the Christian faith. Or you're still wavering over some of the things that confuse you about the Jesus way, about the scriptures, about whatever it might be. And what you need to do is come to a place where you realize, you know what? There's really nowhere else to go. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue following Jesus? Or are you going to go back to your old life? Are you going to go back to the old ways of thinking? Are you going to just, you know, at times your past life will ring you up on the phone. And say, it's me. And you'll see, on your iPhone, you'll see it come up like, oh, that's my past life. Yeah, should I take this call? And sometimes it gets tempting, doesn't it? What you need to do is you just need to, you just need to like put it on silent and let it go to voicemail. And then delete it later on. That's what you need to do with that call. Because the bottom line is, really, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Where am I going to go if I don't go? And follow you. You already know what's back there. You already know that the old life doesn't work. Why go back there? This is the choice that we make. That's really a simple choice. There's no other option but Jesus. And some of us, you know, we need to get to that place. Where we just cross that line of faith and say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to waver anymore. I'm going to resolve to follow Jesus and no matter what happens, come hell or high water, no matter how good it seems God is in my life, I'm going to trust that Jesus has the words of eternal life. And then look what Peter says. He says, look, not only did we realize that you have the words of eternal life, but Jesus, we're, this is one thing has become clear to us. You are the Holy One of God. Another translation, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The loss is painful. It's painful to lose people. It's painful when not as many people are following Jesus. But the loss leads to simplifying Jesus, I can only choose you, and clarifying Jesus, you are the Christ. I wonder for you today, what have the losses in your life helped you to see more clearly? What learning has resulted from the losing that has happened in your life? There's, a, um, there's some levels to this. Whenever we learn, whenever we grow, there's, first of all, this uh, elementary level, I call, of learning, where we learn by just taking in more information, right? We do that. Just teach me more about the Bible. Just tell me what those verses say. Tell me where to find those verses. Teach me about the faith, right? That's an elementary level of learning, where we learn by receiving new information, that's good, that's necessary, that's important. But there's also a secondary level where we learn not just by listening, but we learn by what? Doing. We learn by imitation. We take what we've learned and we put it into practice. That's what we're supposed to do with the Christian life, right? That's how you grow. But there's another level. This is called the graduate level. Anybody who never graduated from college, you're going to right now. I'm going to show you from a spiritual college. You're going to be a spiritual graduate. 
Because graduate level learning in the spiritual life is not just by information or imitation, it's by integration. You're taking all the stuff that has happened, good and bad, and you're figuring out how does this all work together, and how is God orchestrating all of this together in my life where it actually boosts my faith and deepens my faith. And these three levels of learning are constantly happening in our lives, but when you learn from your losses, when you learn from losing, that, my friends, is graduate-level spiritual education. So if you're learning from your losses, welcome to graduate school, <laughs> the graduate school of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, maybe some of you are going through some losses right now. And you're busy shaking your fist at God. Let me encourage you, instead of shaking your fist, instead of walking away, instead of running to the old life that you normally would run to, why not look up to the Lord and open your hands and say, God, what are you saying to me through this? What are you teaching me through this? Folks, that's when true learning can happen. That's when true integration and transformation can begin to happen. Because losing is winning when it simplifies and clarifies your life. Oops. And then lastly, I'm almost done. I don't like this, huh? Losing is winning when it purifies your life and unifies you with others. Um, do you remember King David? King David, my friends, was a winner. He was a national hero. To this day, King David is the man. You know, it's funny. I had a, a on, the, on the plane um, last week, we were, we were sitting down, and the, the gal sitting next to me, or the family sitting next to us, was a, a Jewish family. It was so fascinating, because when she found out that I was a pastor, she, all of a sudden, she wanted to talk to me and ask me all these questions about the difference between Judaism and Christianity. And the coolest part of it was, I realized I knew more about Jewish history than she did. <laughs> and she's like, I never heard that. I go, you know the first five books of the Bible? Yeah, the Torah. And we started talking about it. It's like, oh, so awesome, you know. Um, and uh, we were talking about the Messiah. And it blew my mind because I said, so do you, do you, are you guys still waiting for the Messiah? They're like, yeah. Like we are. I said, well, how do you know when the Messiah has come? And she's like, well, when he comes, he's going to set the whole world in order. He's going to get rid of all the bad people, and all the good people will remain. And we're all going to live under his rule. I'm like, wow. I go, you don't think that's happened already? No, that hasn't happened yet. It's so fascinating. Then it made me think about King David. Because up to that point, King David really was the utmost, like the, the ultimate king, the ultimate Messiah for the Jewish people. So this dude, King David, in the scriptures, was larger than life, man. But remember what happened to him? <laughs> he was doing really good. He was a winner until he committed adultery and murder. And then when he did that, he experienced a string of losses. He, first of all, he lost face before his people. He lost a confrontation with the prophet Nathan, who confronted him with his sin. And then, if you remember the story... He lost a firstborn son with Bathsheba. If you remember what happened, Bathsheba was pregnant, and the son, when she gave birth, the, son, the baby was sick, and David went in and prayed before the Lord and fasted and pleaded for the life of the child. But remember what happened? The child died. 
And then David responded by getting up, washing his face, going into the temple or into the tabernacle and worshiping the Lord. And many scholars think that it's in that setting that David writes these words. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity. What does he say? Cleanse me from my sin, purify me from my sin. David realized that this loss can lead to him seeking a deeper purity of heart. He pleaded for cleansing. There's something about losing that if you let it, can lead you into a deeper purity of heart. Now, this is not to say that um, every loss that comes your way is because of something bad that you did or some sin that you committed. Some losses can lead to revealing deeper issues and deeper sins in your own heart, though. Not to condemn you, but so God can purify and refine you in your character. So maybe in the next time you experience a loss, try asking God not just to teach you an important lesson. Lord, simplify, clarify my values, what lesson you're trying to teach you. But try asking God, God, is there anything that you want to surface in me that's not pure? Maybe there are some impure motives that you're trying to show me that I've got that I didn't realize I had. Maybe there are some impure thoughts. Maybe there's some impure residue of selfish actions that exist here. Maybe there's some bitterness, unforgiveness, stuff that is residue because of what happened and the loss I experienced. God cleanse my heart. Loss, losing is winning when it leads to you experiencing a greater cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Losing is also winning when you experience unity. It unifies you with other people especially those who have also lost. You know, uh, years ago, I got invited to a men's camp with our, our four square, uh, one of the Foursquare districts here. We went up to the men's camp, and I was asked to be one of the keynote speakers for one night. And so I went up there, <laughs> and uh, you know, you know how it is you get into a group of guys and you realize what kind of guys these are? These were the kind of guys that they weren't really saved, they were like barely saved. You know, kind of sketchy. You could tell, you know. Uh, some of them, I learned later on, you know, they were in recovery. A lot of them um, had been just, you know, out of prison. And um, like 250 guys. Now, not all of them were like that, but there was enough of them. You could tell, oh, okay, these guys are, what did I get myself into, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sitting there, Dan, you know, I'm like, what am I going to tell these guys, man? You know, the beauty of that, that retreat was not what I was able to teach those guys, what they were able to teach me. Because when you get guys that are willing to be open and honest about their failures, about their losses in life, when you get guys that are not, are, are not living in denial, because when you're in recovery, that's the first thing they teach you. You get, just stop living in denial, you know? You got to tell it like it is, right? So this was an, as, as, as suspicious as I was, it was really an environment where I began to see the power of vulnerability and honesty and guys who were willing to come to terms with the losses of their life and the power that had to unify us 
So I was, I was the guest speaker for that evening, and I was praying like all day, you know, just like, oh, what do I say? Because everything that I prepared doesn't feel right. <laughs> so I was praying and praying and praying. And then that night during the, during the worship service that night, I got to tell you, like what you experienced here this morning, it was 10 times the thickness of the presence of God. Guys were jumping up and down. Guys were worshiping their hearts out. These were broken men. Right? They found a resting place in the presence of God for all their brokenness. And, and I, could, I, I kid you not, folks, I, I, I was so blown away by it. I could, I could not contain myself. I was shouting, but it was coming from in here. Right? I was worshiping God deeply. And I'm like, I, I left that. So what I did was I, I didn't feel like God wanted me to give the word that I had, I had prepared so I just got up there and I shared a prophetic word, and, and then all the other pastors started sharing prophetic word. I didn't even need to preach that night because the presence of God was already doing a work in their, in their lives. And there was such a cohesiveness and a unity that happened. And I couldn't help walking away from that night thinking, God, like you stepped into the loser's circle tonight with your presence. And... and and the losses that these men have experienced in life, the brokenness of their lives, their willingness to be vulnerable, their willingness, their hunger for you, it, it's like it drew and attracted your presence. I wonder sometimes if our brokenness attracts God's presence. I wonder if our, our losing more than our winning attracts his grace more. And so, you know, you've all been in situations where it's one thing, man, to go into a circle a group or whatever and be sharing victories, it's another thing when you go into a group and somebody shares a loss. What does that do to you? It causes you to think about all the losses in your life, doesn't it? And the minute you say, yeah, you know what, I've lost too. This is how I lost. This is how I failed. This is where I'm weak. What happens? What happens? There's a, a unity. There's a fellowship amongst the suffering that cannot be experienced in the winner's circle. So here's where I want to leave you guys today. I want to leave you with some practical steps. What do you do with this? <laughs> Jesus says, whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let me give you my paraphrase. Whoever unplugs from the world system that categorizes people into winners and losers and chooses to stand in the loser's circle for Jesus' sake, ends up actually a winner. Let me give you a few things to, to leave with today. You ready? How do I apply what I just heard when losing is winning? First, guard your heart against pride. Tell the person next to you, guard your heart, guard against, pride. heart. against pride. Especially when you're winning especially when you're in a winning season. Man, you know what? I love it when you guys win, when you experience blessing in that way. It's great. It's wonderful. But just guard your heart. That's all. Give glory to God for the wins in your life. Worship him for the skills he's given you that allow you to win. But keep watch over your heart because when your soul gets on a roll, sometimes winning can poison your heart with pride if you're not careful. All right? Secondly, Choose to lose once in a while. Choose to lose once in a while. Like seriously, consider, premeditate a loss. Here's what I mean. 
Take something that's rather important to you and give it to someone else who needs it. Lose a bag of groceries. Give it to someone who needs it. Cancel a debt that someone owes you. Like, forgive them. Take down a plaque on your wall that shows you how good you are. Thank God for the achievement. Lord, thank you so much that you allowed me to finish that degree and then take it down off your wall. How about lose an hour or an hour and a half of time on a Wednesday night and come here for prayer meeting? And all the intercessors in the church said, <laughs> lose face in order to reconcile with somebody that you have been fighting with by admitting that you're wrong and taking responsibility for your part of the wrong. Stand in the loser's circle and eat that really good tasting humble pie. <laughs> Jesus did that. He left all the prerogatives of heaven and he came down to identify with us. That's Philippians 2. You know what it says in that passage? It says you should have the same attitude as Christ did. Thirdly, determine beforehand to let a loss do a good work in your life. You got to decide beforehand, before you even experience the loss, that your attitude is going to be such that the minute you experience the loss, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Yeah, grieve it. Oh, it was so sad. Oh, gosh, let me grieve it more. That's fine. But in the midst of your grief, God, show me what you're trying to teach me. What are you trying to clarify for me? What is this showing me about my life? What is this doing in me? Because some of your greatest losses right now are a seedbed for your destiny. Some of the greatest losses you're going to experience are actually the building blocks for the ministry God wants to do through you later on in life. And if you don't pick that up, if you don't learn those lessons, you're not going to have the tools to build with when it's time. So determine beforehand how you're going to respond and how you're going to say, you're going to say God, thank you for the, the, the work that losses do, the good thing you're doing in the midst of this. Then lastly, this is the, the big one. Take a risk. Enter into the losses of others. Start looking for opportunities to bear each other's burdens. Look for the loser's circles and stand in line to get into that loser's circle with someone else so that you can experience the fellowship of suffering. I know this isn't the message that some of you want to hear, but it's, some, it's the message that some of you need to hear because life and winning the way our society is defined it isn't everything. In fact, the key to really winning in the Christian life is losing because it simplifies and clarifies our life and it purifies us and it unifies us with the people that we need around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here's how I want us to respond today. There was a word that came this morning that God wants to be a resting place for the broken. And I want us uh, to take a moment. I want us to put, put your stuff away. And I want you to just take, close your eyes before the Lord if you want. And I know this is going to feel a little weird <laughs> to say thank you, God, for the losses.
Maybe it's not thanking him for the losses, but thank you, Lord, for the losses, what the losses are teaching me. And what I want us to do right now is to imagine those broken places of our life, the places that we really do want God to fix, or the places that we've been trying to fix, and it's been really, really hard and difficult. Maybe it's a physical issue. Maybe it's an emotional thing. You know, maybe it's a relationship issue. For some of you, maybe it's just your relationship with God. Something's off in your walk with God. I want you to bring that broken place before the Lord. Imagine it in your mind that you're laying it before Jesus. And I want you to see Jesus standing in the loser's circle with you and identifying with you and you just surrendering that place to him. Thank you, Lord. And pray with me. Lord, as we are imagining and seeing these broken places of our lives before you this moment, Lord, there's some of us, I can hear the thoughts in, in some people's minds that, you know, I've done this before. I've been there. I've done that. I've tried that. It's not working. And there's a, a spirit of despair. I pray you replace that right now with a spirit of hope, with encouragement, Lord that, Lord Jesus, you'd give them insight as to what they need to do next. But, Lord, as we bring these broken places to you now, Lord, I pray that you'd start to heal. I pray that you'd start to bring insight, that you start to simplify and clarify our lives in these places, that, we, that the solutions really aren't all that complicated. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So, Jesus, today... Meet us as we bring these broken places and spaces of our lives to you and into your presence. I pray that you would release the people that, you know, some of us need to stand in the loser's circle by, <laughs> by simply forgiving those who have hurt us and harmed us and done us wrong and choosing to stand in that vulnerable place and release forgiveness. Do that for us. And we open our hearts to a refreshing experience of your love and grace today. We thank you, Lord, in the name of the Father who loves us so deeply, the name of the Son who gave his life, and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We pray this. Amen? Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.